Well, I think after a couple of years of that sort of constant dialogue and I would just kind of, like I would try and push it aside, I eventually realised, okay, I probably need to get some help. Um, I remember sort of talking to my family and for them it just seemed so ridiculous because they looked at me and they were like, you are beautiful, like you've got everything going for you, you've got a family that loves you, like I don't know how you could be feeling like this, you're just having a bad day. I wonder what you mean when you use the word I. Use the word I. In this episode, I speak to Francesca Hung. Francesca was recently named Miss Universe Australia 2018. Talk about the perfect outside life. Sydney's Francesca Hung says she hopes to be a role model for multicultural Australians after being crowned Miss Universe Australia for 2018. On first glance, Francesca is a beautiful model from an affluent family studying at university, living a life of a lot of privilege. What does she have to be sad about? This is a question that has led her to some very dark places, a guilt and resentment toward herself for having it all yet feeling so low. Francesca brings such a tremendous level of of honesty and transparency to things that she's battled with, including her self-esteem issues, body insecurities, and even her own ethnicity as a Chinese-Australian. She wants to change the traditional view of people like her as having it all or, worse yet, needing to pretend that they're okay when they aren't. As she explains, not everyone will understand, even the people who you want to understand the most, but they don't have to. So long as someone does, that's all you really need. As you'll see, she keeps it more real than someone of her profile and, and background is expected to, and that's her greatest gift. Uh, in terms of trigger warnings, there's kind of mild to moderate references around self-image issues. As always, go slow, go strong, one moment at a time. We're all on the journey. I'm really, really, really glad you reached out. So many people want to connect with something bigger, particularly if they've been through a mental health issue. And you know, you ruminate on, should I talk to someone about it? Or like in your case, should I even reach out to an organization that could potentially carry my message? And that's a huge step forward. And so I firstly just want to say thank you. And I'm really glad we're here. Oh, thanks for having me. And um, you've had such an amazing journey. um, And one where the spotlight is on you to be perfect and I kind of want to invite us to be able to be a little bit imperfect and just explore the real side of what it's like and so recently you won Miss Universe Australia yeah I did that's exciting local (laughs) Mossman girl yep famous Mossman now (laughs) putting Mossman on the board yeah we're on the map yep I love that and so you know have you come down from the high how are you feeling now yeah good I think um initially I was a little bit overwhelmed by everything and it was a bit of a shock and so I didn't really like – I think everyone said make sure that you prepare, you know, for the 
possibility of winning. And I was like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> like it's not going to happen. And so I just didn't even sort of see that happening. And so when it happened, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, shit what am I it. supposed to do now? Yeah. Um, and then kind of went away, did like a little three-week holiday. And I think that was the best thing. Kind of had that time away from Sydney, just kind of like process everything and then came back and I was like ready to get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so what does a lead up to a competition like that actually look like? Can you talk me through some of the steps? Yeah, well, it's sort of – it went for about six months. Um, started by you have to apply, you know, send in a video saying why you want to do the competition, why you want to be in it. And then from there, they, the organisers select, you know, about 30 girls from each state around Australia. And then from there, we had to kind of do a bit of social media stuff, getting to know the other girls. And then we would have state finals. And from there, they selected seven from New South Wales. And there was a total of 32 girls nationally. And we all met up in Bali, had a week in Bali. It was like pre-judging interviews. Lily, our dog, has just walked on (gasps) set right here. So (laughs) she is now joining the podcast. Oh, my goodness. Beautiful. Hello. She looks like a goldfish for those who are listening at home. (laughs) (laughs) My puppy is half of you. It's a cavoodle. Oh, yeah. Cavoodle. Classic. You can sit there next to me. Yeah, she'll she'll chill. She'll chill eventually. Um, and then the national finals were held in Melbourne, and that was in July, I believe. And then we yeah, that was like pre-judging, interviews, runway, all that sort of thing. And then um, yeah, they selected a winner. And so, what does selecting a winner actually look like? Is there like a, a day where you have to walk? Yeah. So. We do a week in Melbourne and that's sort of like filming. You're doing interviews with a panel of 12 judges. And so they try and do that so it's fair. So it's not like all on based on one night. Then you do a runway show the night before the big final. And that is another 12 judges. Mm-hmm. And everyone sort of gives you a score. And then on the big, you know, national final night, there is a parade sort of thing like swimwear ball gowns and like an opening number, like a bit of a dance number. And then they select a top 10. And then from top 10, you'll have to answer a random question on stage. And that's generally like a political sort of question. What was your question? Um, My question was, in light of the recent cheating scandal in cricket, do you think that players should have a lifetime ban if they're caught cheating or like should be let to play again? Wow. What was the answer there? (laughs) Very politically correct answer. <laughs> um, I said, I think I said, oh God, you're putting you on the spot. Um, I said, look, I think it was really embarrassing that we got caught cheating and Australians like pride themselves on being good sportsmen and yeah, sportsmen? Yeah, I think um, sportsmen, yeah. yeah. It's good sportsmanship. Yeah. And so it was a bit embarrassing. However, at the end of the day, if, you know, a sportsman apologises and promises never to do it again, then... At the end of the day, that's their livelihood and can't take that away from them. So you've obviously had some amazing PR training. I've had absolutely none. <laughs> so you're just naturally gifted at just flowing with the right answer. Up, yeah. I love it. So good. Um, and then after that top yeah. 10, they select a top five. Okay. And you have to answer another question. So it sounds like there was um, like tons of opportunities where they're, they're just like putting you under pressure to be cut, 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 cut. Yeah, absolutely. That must be a horrible feeling. Yeah, it's actually probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I think because you're putting yourself out there to be kind of humiliated in a way. Mm. And, um, yeah, not only are you being sort of judged on, you know, physicality, all that sort of thing, but also, you know, can she answer a question on the spot? And there were some girls who are, you know, beyond intelligent 
And when you get on stage and you're asked a question in front of an audience of 400 people and it's, you know, being filmed, you choke. And mm. that's what I was worried about because I have never had that experience and I hate public speaking. And so I was so nervous. And then, but then on stage, I was actually able to kind of pull it together and deliver an answer. Awesome. Mm. And so talk me through like the moment where they're about to announce the winner and you're all standing there in line. What's going through your head at that point? At that point, they kind of do it backwards. They call out fifth place, fourth, like third runner up, second runner up. And then they have the two girls who are left stand together, you know, the whole drum roll, making you wait. Um, And I just remember looking at the girl in front of me, Jasmine, who was, yeah, standing with me and she was crying. And I remember thinking, oh my God, no. (laughs) Her hair was falling in front of her face. And I don't actually remember anything, but I just like pushed her hair behind her ear Mm. because it was like covering her face from the audience. And I was like, no, 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 like it's okay or something like that. And I don't remember actually thinking, oh, this could actually be my winning moment. I was just like thinking more like that moment between us was really special. Wow, that's awesome. And I think that that shows a lot about you in that before you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking about someone else Mm. and um, a moment that could be the most pivotal of your career. You're wondering if someone else is okay. (laughs) Um, Has that been something that you've found to be a theme in other parts of your life? Um, I think definitely. I think I sometimes have abandoned my own sort of issues and tried to look elsewhere and like trying to fix everyone else's problems before fixing my own. And I think that's why I kind of ended up in a bad spot because I always, yeah, I just, I didn't want to deal with my own feelings or Mm. issues. So I always like projected. Is it that you didn't want to deal with them or you didn't think that they were as important as other people's? Yeah, I guess I've always kind of thought, God, I've grown up in the most amazing family in the best suburb and I've had everything there is no reason for me to feel this way and so I was always a bit like embarrassed to have these low feelings and I kind of thought no 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 like this is so stupid like there are people you know around the world struggling with actual massive issues like how can I be feeling like this Mm. and um so yeah definitely was ashamed of having those feelings and then would sort of be like no they're not an issue push them aside yeah and I, I feel so many people have a have an essence of that I think you would feel that times a thousand not only having the privileged upbringing from family location um the way that you look but also now winning a competition it's supposed to be like what do you have to complain about yeah and I think also like being you know this new role like Miss Australia you're supposed to be almost like you feel like you should be perfect Mm -hmm. and that I should have nothing to complain about there are so many girls that would want this role and if I'm complaining or saying that I'm down or sad it yeah I feel like people would look at that and be like well she doesn't deserve it she shouldn't be that person right and and I think there's obviously pressure as well from previous Miss Universes or whatever to to look at them and be like well They've conducted themselves in a certain way. I need to be this aspirational poster girl image now to make sure that I don't let others down, that reoccurring theme, right? Yeah. And then I think that's why it took me a little bit of time to come around to doing the podcast with you. But I Mm. think at the end of the day, I realized it was actually the best thing for me to do because it's showing people that everything may look perfect on the outside, but like nobody's perfect. And I think that it can have such a, like a much a bigger impact on people seeing someone like me that's meant to be you know a certain you know up on a pedestal and that Mm. it's not it's not like that yeah 
And um, how have you been feeling over the last few weeks? Yeah, good. I actually, like, I'm in a really good place at the moment and everything's kind of going really well for me um, and I have learnt ways to deal with, you know, like my emotions or if I'm feeling stressed and I kind of know my triggers now mm. after, like, years of sort of, like, not understanding um, and so I know if I need to take a step back or I need a day off work or I, and I ask for that now. Yeah. What are some of the harder times that you've experienced? And you don't need to, to dive straight into it, but can you think of a time in the last couple of years where some particular emotions have gotten the better of you? Yeah. So I never really understood the idea of depression and I didn't really know that that was what I was feeling. I just remember sort of straight after school, went straight into uni, kind of just focused like my whole life was meant to be around, you know, my future, like what am I going to be studying at uni and my parents like high achievers and I kind of had that pressure on me and I really wanted to impress them and I think that really got to me and I didn't even want to get up for uni, I didn't want to get out of bed and I just wanted to like sleep all day and I had no motivation to do anything with my life and um, I remember... I don't think I ever – I never acted on any suicidal thoughts and I never really had really strong suicidal thoughts. It was more like self-sabotage. I just remember that I would do things to kind of almost like ruin my life so that no one expected anything from me. Mm, yeah. Can you give us an example if you feel comfortable yeah. of something that you would do to to do that? Yeah, well, I think I was starting to – act out like I was really like horrible with my family and I was like hard to be around so I would you know threaten that I'd move out and I like lived out of home for a little bit um I was sort of dating and seeing the wrong people just trying to do anything to get a rise out of my family and I wasn't going down the right path I wouldn't go to my uni classes and I was like wasting like my parents were being so generous and sending me to uni and I just wouldn't rock up to classes I didn't care about my subjects I would just fail just not attend. Um, I started sort of rebelling a little bit, like doing things which could have got me into serious trouble with the police, things like, um, I don't know, just sort of partying a bit too hard as well, kind of doing anything to distract myself. Mm. I think I was hanging out with the wrong people, yeah, and just not really doing anything with my life. Yeah. You're in a stage where you're feeling as if there is a, um, a tension between who you're feeling yourself to be, who the outside world wants you to be, not least of which is your family. And you're going through a phase of, I'm now depleted of any want to be part of this life because I don't feel a connection to it. Would that correctly describe it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, as you were lying in bed sometimes on those days, if you can remember back to them, can you think about a time where you were just like, this is too much? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, well, that's one of the other reasons that I think I would sleep so much is that I was constantly exhausted from this like constant battle in my head, this dialogue between like I just, I think I just hated myself so much as well. And that was the, like one of the main issues is that I just thought I was so worthless. And so it was this constant, like I'd look at myself in the mirror and I'd be like, oh, you're disgusting. Like, what are you doing with your life? And so it wasn't actually anybody else putting it on me. It was all internal. Mm. And I was kind of making up these pressures that I felt everyone was putting on me. 
like I wanted to be perfect. And so I was always like berating myself and cursing myself. And so I was like constantly tired and exhausted. And so I would try and sleep all day just so that I wouldn't have that dialogue in my yeah, brain to avoid that fight with yourself almost. yeah because if I knew that I got up then my day would start and it would all that conversation in my head would start again and yeah I just I don't think I could handle it some days and what what would that voice say what you know when you said that you found parts of you disgusting what what parts of you well I think it initially started physically and I thought that I was so unattractive I thought I was like overweight I thought I was just disgusting to look at and I think that stemmed from me always being really self-conscious that I was half Chinese and I think growing up I always felt it wasn't anyone else putting that on me but I always felt different from everybody else especially growing up in you know Mossman and Cremorne there wasn't that much diversity and I always felt like I was on the outside Mm. and I think that was just like completely ingrained in me and I was so self-conscious that when I look in the mirror, I was just seeing this disgusting like blob. And I thought I was overweight and I sort of would sabotage my eating just to try and like, you know, fit a certain look. And um, yeah, I hated the way I looked. Mm. And then I think all that negative commentary then started to sort of seep into you're not smart enough, you know, you're not motivated, you're not doing anything with your life, look at all the girls from your school, look what they're doing now, look what you're doing, you don't have any friends, you're not popular, like no one likes you, and that kept creeping in. Mm. And uh, yeah, I I really resonate with that. The voice can be so real Mm. and so overpowering sometimes and um, so incorrect. (laughs) Yeah, and I think Um, that I just always felt like I was actually my own worst nightmare. Mm, yeah, and I've also felt that with myself. It's it's so interesting because the things that the, the voice was telling you inside yourself around, you know, you're not beautiful, your ethnicity is holding you back, you're not popular, I would say, you know, are completely different to who I know you to be and, and I think who part of you knows you to be too. Mm. Hopefully a bigger part knows that now. Yeah. But it takes time to let that internal dialogue kind of shift. And the microphone goes back to the, the bigger self eventually that goes, no, I am, I'm worth it and this is all going okay. Like, what, what was that process like for you? How did that start to shift? Well, I think after a couple of years of that sort of constant dialogue and I would just kind of, like I would try and push it aside, I eventually realized, okay, I probably need to get some help. Um, I remember sort of talking to my family and for them, it just seemed so ridiculous because they looked at me and they were like, you are beautiful. Like you've got everything going for you. You've got a family that loves you. Like, I don't know how you could be feeling like this. You're just having a bad day. That sort of thing. Um, and I wanna, so, sorry, I just want to pause you there. So, so basically what I'm, what I'm assuming you're feeling then is reinforcing that what you're going through isn't valid. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so you're like, I already feel shit. Now I have this intensified guilt because my parents and people around me, not just them, are sort of making me feel like I have no reason to be, which is evidence for why I'm being ridiculous. Mm. And then the whole cycle perpetuates itself. And so you, you were hoping that someone could say to you, it doesn't matter about external circumstances, what you're feeling is real, right? Mm. 
And and it sounded like you didn't get that for a very long time. No, yeah, definitely. My my dad comes from a medical background. Mm. And so I think always the sort of like the psychological that side of things didn't really I don't know, they're like quite different worlds, sort of a scientific world and you know, the mental world. Mm. And um I think yeah, it was definitely difficult for them to kind of comprehend that I could be feeling that way inside. Yeah. And I never wanted to talk to about talk to my feelings to friends because mm. for me it showed like a sign of weakness and yeah. I never yeah, wanted to talk about it with anybody else. So my family was my only, you know, confidant and then they are the ones that sort of was like, Well, you're just going through a rough patch or, mm. you know, it's difficult transitioning from uni or from school or, you know, you've broken up with a boyfriend. It was always, there was always like a reason mm. why I was feeling that way. And um, so they'd be like, you know, you'll get over it. It's fine. Like, you know, chin up. Sometimes, you know, they would say, I think you're just sort of, you're in your own head. Um, you know, you're making life harder for yourself. Just be happy and that sort of thing. And so I'd always go away and be like, oh, God, like, why can't I just be happy? Like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, And so eventually I took myself off to my GP and spoke to them. And then they said, well, maybe, you know, like you're suffering from a bit of depression or anxiety. And as soon as they said that, it was like that hadn't even come into my mind before that. And I just thought maybe I was just like crazy or moody or, you know, being a silly little girl. And so as soon as she said that, I thought, okay, I can kind of see how that could be what's happening. Um, so she referred me to a psychologist and then I saw that psychologist and I think in a way, like I almost didn't agree with what she was saying because it meant there was like a flaw in who I was and so I stopped seeing her and then I let it, you know, keep getting worse, keep getting worse and then I went back to my GP and I asked to see a different psychologist and saw another psychologist and I did the same thing where – I didn't like what she was saying and so I like withdrew and then saw another psychologist eventually after that um, and she had like a different opinion about like maybe it was it was sort of like I just had to learn to like love myself and um, that I took away from that a few things but also it's almost like I didn't want to get help. It was like that self-sabotage thing again and I also left and um and then eventually I decided to try like medication and obviously I never told my parents about it because I knew they were so against it. And so I was taking um, antidepressants for about a year until they found out and they were so mad at me. Um, and so then we had this massive struggle between them wanted me to get off the medication and me saying, no, 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 like the medication makes me feel so much better. I'm not feeling down at all. But what I didn't realize is that I think the medication had also changed my moods in a way that I almost went numb and I didn't feel anything at all. And I was becoming like a really mean version of myself. And yeah, I just like didn't care about anyone else's feelings and I didn't care about my own feelings. And I acted like, I don't really give a shit about, you know, the world. And I was rebelling again. Mm. (laughs) Um, And then eventually I met somebody, a nice boy who kind of helped me feel like good about myself again. And I started 
working on like my diet and my fitness and all those sorts of things. And eventually I started winning myself off the antidepressants and that took like quite a long time to feel good without them again. And now I'm completely off them and yeah, I don't know. I feel so much better than I ever have before. Awesome. I mean, there's, there's so much there that I want to unpack, not least yeah, the rich. Sorry, I just kept going. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's, it's awesome. And, you know, some of the things that struck me in what you just said is you, you did a lot of, you are doing this, a lot of this journey alone. Um, I mean, now you have your boyfriend, which is awesome. Mm. But I mean, finding a psychologist, starting medication, all this has been huge things in your life that you've sort of been like, well, I just need to get this done. Yeah. And I'm sure that can feel overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, I know what it's like to not click with psychs, you know, or counselors or whatever the, the first time. It took me probably seven, seven to nine, I don't remember, people before I was like, wow, someone someone gets it. And a lot of it isn't necessarily um, the, the, a problem with, with them. Um, sometimes I think that there is. Um, mm. But other times it is exactly what you just said, which is I don't want to accept something within inside myself and this mirror is too strong. Mm. Like I am not ready to face the reality of all the things that this person is building a container for me to see. And with all the best intents, they're trying to build this safe space for me to explore the wounds that have gone band-aided for so long. But the moment I lift the band-aid is like, no way, like that is just too much. I feel like you kind of go to a psychologist wanting that like medicine or that pill that's going to change everything or they're going to say something to you and you go, oh, yeah, it's all fixed. And when they say, well, it's not it's not that simple, you know, you've got to sort of look at yourself and you kind of go, oh, <laughs> sorry, not for me. Yeah, not for me is a lot too much work. Yeah. There. And it sounds like you haven't avoided that work. You've just done it in a different container. Mm. Don't get me wrong. We've all got stuff to unpack yeah. uh, way more than just uh, you know a couple of times and it's like oh I'm now mm. fully through all my shit but you've used the container of your partner to explore that a bit yeah um are there any other containers that you feel are a safe space for you to to go through some of this well I think eventually I definitely spoke more to my parents about things and actually my dad was the one who kind of had the most understanding because I think that he had gone through his own mental health issues but never really talked to anyone about it or accepted it. And so then when I was able to talk to him about how I was feeling, he understood those feelings and then we found this like bond that we hadn't really ever felt before. You went full circle with him. Yeah. So it started as the traditional Chinese background, then layering, layering on top of that the medical background. Yeah. This doesn't exist further distance than the medication came as a secret further distance again. Yeah. And then eventually he accepted that he'd been through something similar and you found this common ground between, wow, we're actually going through the same thing on opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I think it kind of grew from an understanding that a lot of people in his family have suffered from mental health issues. And I think it kind of clicked with him then that if I was also going through a similar thing, like it can be, you know, a lot of it can be passed down and it is an actual thing. It's not just a feeling. It's like can be a um, chemical thing sometimes as well. Absolutely. And 
I think I've heard this from, you know, when I speak, a lot of people with uh, an ethnic background, whether it be um, Asian, Middle Eastern, you know, there's a lot of, I'm not allowed to be this. It doesn't exist. Sometimes in some cultures, there's not even a word for it because of how little it's supposed to exist. And so I really hope anyone out there who is either from Australia or someone else that has an ethnic background takes something from your story, uh, not least of which is that someone else is going through this exact same issue and that you find it really hard to lean on the people that you innately want to lean on the most. You know, your parent, you're hardwired to want to seek safety from the parent. Mm. And when the parent is, is sort of has their own narrative at play because you know, your dad or, or or anyone, they're experiencing a life where they've been raised in a certain way with, you know, their own parents, they're mm. a million stories influencing their context. And yeah. so, you know, they're just giving it their best shot too. But sometimes without them knowing, they're, they're causing tension in people's lives around them, not least of which is their own children. Yeah. And so, for people who who do have that ethnic background, how, how do you think we find a middle ground there with the family? Well, yeah, I think I would definitely with like the Chinese side of the family, there's a massive emphasis on never showing weakness. Um, and I think being an immigrant family as well, when they, you know, when my dad came to Australia, they had to do so well and they were under so much pressure to achieve, you know, greatness, to help their parents out, to, you know, re- like thank them for coming here and giving them a much better life. And so there's all those pressures and you're not supposed to, you're supposed to feel so thankful all the time. And I think all of that pressure probably just like got to him um, eventually. But I don't really know how you can, how we can kind of, well, I guess more of these stories will open up the dialogue and maybe, make other multicultural kids um, or kids that have, you know, people have come from other countries feel like it's okay to admit sort of those shortcomings or if you're having those feelings. But, yeah, I don't really know how, like, culturally. Have you ever spoken to a fellow, you know, Chinese-Australian girl about any of these issues? Have you ever been able to connect with someone like you? Uh Look, all my cousins are sort of like Eurasian and I guess we've like, – I've talked about these sorts of pressures with my cousins I'm really close with and she's also had her struggles. But we're quite lucky that our parents have grown up in Australia and so they're almost – like they're quite westernised and they have all have partners who are, you know, Australian, true, you know, Aussie Australians. Um, and so they have that nice mixture – and so there's, it's easier for us to talk to our parents. But I don't know how it would be if you're growing up with two parents who, you know, maybe come from overseas or have a different kind of cultural standing. Mm. And, you know, Australia is so multicultural. And so we have so many people going through this exact situation right now where they're, they're sitting in between two generations, you know, where they've come from, which is... Uh, a certain way even you know Pacific Islanders I heard a story recently where you're so part of the community that you sometimes don't know where your individual self starts Mm. you know everything is about family and so you're expected to carry and host this tradition of being so ingrained and everyone knows everything but yet 
the Australian or the, you know, the country that you're in, the way of life is like, well, you also need to be the guy that's the rugby player and building a profile and doing well at school. And it is a very individual approach to, to the world. And I could imagine for so many people that would be incredibly hard to, to be like, who am I? Yeah. 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 Um, and like, you know, yeah, where, where do I fit? But I'm really happy that you and you and your family's journey has come to somewhat of a middle ground through a shared experience. Mm. What are some of the most helpful things that a psychologist, your partner or anyone else has shown to you that's enabled you to sort of feel validated or at least explore some of the parts within you that you want to heal? Well, I think the first sort of psychologist that I saw, they were saying that most of my sort of issues were arising from the relationships that were around me. And so I had to, the reason I sort of left them is because I didn't want to talk to my parents about the issues because, um, you know, I thought that they would think, oh, well, it's not, it's not my fault. And I think I had a conversation with my mum and dad about that once. And I said, the psychologist wants us to go in for family therapy. And I remember my parents, I think they were probably a bit hurt and they thought it's not, it's not us, like it's not our fault. And I was trying to explain that. I know it's not your fault. I just want us to be able to, I don't know how to talk to you. And I think family psychology will help us talk. Um, but that became kind of a massive issue because it was like I was putting the blame on them. And um, Do you think that you were? I probably was a little bit, yeah. I wasn't looking at myself and I was saying, well, the reason I'm like this is because you, you, um, you know, you do that, or you make me feel like this. But I wasn't sort of looking at myself. Um, and then, sort of from like the the later psychologist, she was saying, "Stop being so hard on yourself. Mm. Like, just sort of when you like do you know those affirmations when you get up and look at yourself and you know say four nice things to yourself before you think anything negative." And so. I kind of tried that for a bit. and Such um, a hard exercise when you're in the middle of it, isn't it? Yeah, and like you almost don't believe it when you're saying yeah, your totally. sentence is just all, you know, made up mm. stuff. And then it, it, it kind of upsets me that it took somebody else coming into my life that had that sort of had to make me feel good about myself. Mm. I wish that I had been able to feel like that on my own. Yeah, that was just that's how it happened for me that somebody else kind of had to give me those affirmations and eventually built me up, built me up. What if I was to tell you that that's not just you and every single person in the world can't do it on their own? <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because that, that theme is, you know, really coming through, which is like I should have been able to do X and in the absence of X, I'm a failure versus the very essence of our biology and our existence means that we need other people. Mm. It's not an option. Like yeah. we cannot do this on our own and we cannot be our own mirror all the time. I mean, there is a really, really, really strong need for feeling grounded within oneself, being like, this is me. I have a safe place to retreat to within my own body. I have self-soothing techniques and resilience for sure. But we need help building that island. 
you know, mm. that island doesn't just secretly emerge out yeah. of the water and I'm like, now I'm this person. It's through people that we are able to do that. And so for what it's worth, it's okay for people <laughs> for people to help you build that island. Yeah. But I guess what sort of scares me is, you know, what has if I don't have that person in my life anymore eventually yeah. or, you know, if something happens, what happens if I go back to feeling that way? How am I going to... Yeah, build myself up again. Yeah, what a great question. And so many people feel this, particularly when their their island has been co-created with a romantic partner because maybe romantic partners have more subjectivity than someone like a parent or a sibling because they don't have an option. (laughs) And I think that what's a really important distinction is the island that you're creating doesn't there's there's one island which is an island that you share that you've built together that probably exists more on the outside world and you bring your flaws your positivity and and you cohabitate and coexist to make it as blissful as possible but i think there's what i'm referring to is another sort of island which is that person gives you the means or helps you find the means within inside yourself. They don't actually do anything. It's a completely separate island that's just for you, that is unconditional to the changes of circumstance or relationship type in your outside world. That those people really, again, back to the mirror example, whether it's a psychologist or a friend, are just holding space and providing the mm-hmm. container or the mirror that you do the work that can be the foundation for... Even when the weather changes, the island is still standing. And I think that comes down to, you know, how much of, how much am I leaning on, on everyone versus allowing them to hold me upright? Yeah. And so investing in, in your practices, whether it be, you know, reflecting on your day, doing your affirmations, meditating, or just generally sitting with the discomfort of maybe life isn't perfect and I need help is a way that we're strengthening the sand. It's a good analogy, your island. <laughs> I, I like it. It makes me feel like there's something I can stand on. Yeah. Because um, so often in life that it's like shit, like uh, the the ground is falling underneath me. And my default reaction anyway is just to like cling to the people who feel like safe ground. Yeah. Um. Sometimes I violate their boundaries because I'm like, shit, like you're my life support. And over time, I've learned that when that crumbling starts to happen, that I can tend to my own garden, that I can sit there and be like, and you know, there's to continue this metaphor, because mm-hmm. now we're really in it. Yep. There's sort of like, um, there's boats around the island where n- no one's leaving me. They're, they're all coaching me, yep. but I'm there you know, grabbing the sand, you know, making it more firm, making sure the trees are planted solidly. And and so it's not as if everyone just goes and I'm like, fuck, I have to tend to this whole thing myself. It's that they're sort of round the peripherals. Yeah. And I'm getting better at identifying cracks in the sand, shaky branches. Yeah, it's it's not it's not an or it's not I either have to do this on my own or everyone takes care of me. It's I use people's care to take care of myself. And so where to from here? What's next for Francesca in the next few months? Uh, Well, I've got the international final coming up. So that's like quite a big... Good luck. Yeah. So that will be a bit of a test to see how I kind of cope with that because it is 
I go to Thailand for about three weeks um, and obviously not, not with any of my family or friends. I'm there with 90 other girls that I've never met before. Wow. Um, and, you know, they work you pretty hard. I heard from last year's winner, you know, she said sometimes, you know, you're working on four to five hours sleep a night, you know, you're filming all day or you're, you know, doing go-sees, tourist sort of things. So it's full on. Um, and you have a roommate, so you never kind of get that time to yourself. Yeah. You obviously don't know the girl you're going to be rooming with. Sounds like a cocktail for mental health disaster. Literally. So. Wow. So, yeah. so what, what do you, this is really interesting. So, so what do you do to prepare for something knowing that the circumstances are so tough? Yeah. I, I think I've been, everyone always asks me about it and I always kind of laugh it off and say, Oh no, like I don't want to talk about it. Mm. That's always been me. Like I just kind of push things to the side until I have to get to it. And I think I've learned that from my parents. They've always just said, Oh well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And so uh I realise though that I have to kind of prepare for that scenario. Luckily I've kind of had that happen when I, you know, did the Miss Universe Australia when we went to Bali. We went overseas with 30 girls that we'd never met before. We mm. got put in a room. We had a roommate we'd never met before and we had to change rooms every two nights. So you always had someone you knew. And so that was really difficult. I found that really hard because I always felt like, you know, I never had my own time to yeah, myself. Yeah, you always have to be on yeah, pleasing and I'm someone. the right? kind of person yeah. that needs that time to myself. Amen. Yeah. And so I think what I ended up doing was – I would go for a walk. I'd get up. If I had to get up an hour earlier than everybody else, I would. And I'd, I'd go for a walk or I'd go to the gym just to kind of like you know, release some endorphins, do my own thing. I also, like I have a diary and I write everything in my diary. So Me that's too. like my yeah therapist. Awesome. So I'm going to be going overseas doing that. Um, yeah, making sure I just like kind of try and take any opportunity I can to kind of you know, make sure I'm feeling okay, write down my feelings, emotions. If I need to get up early, go for a workout, I'll do that. Yeah. What are your, if like, and and it doesn't need to be anything other than what you really feel right now about it. Like, are you, um, is there, is there doubt that you're not good enough to be on a world stage? Is it just more anxiety about the practical side of it? Like, what are your emotions about it right now? I think, Right now, I am there's like a part of me that's really excited to do it, but the way I'm doing it is like I, I kind of downplay everything and I look at it, go, oh well, there's no way I can win. I'm doing the same thing I did before, and so that way I don't have to ever kind of imagine failing. And so the way I do it, it's like I like to go in as the underdog kind of thing and look at it and go, well, nobody kind of even thinks that I'm going to make the top 16 or top 10, so I've got nothing to prove and so I can't really fail. <laughs> mm. The self-awareness that you have to be able to say that is awesome mm. because you can see that that is a coping mechanism, Yeah. right? And that's half the battle. More than half the battle is just being real with yourself and being like, maybe I'm doing this because I'm hiding from pain. Yeah. And then that then buys us a space eventually to slowly work out why. Why are we doing this? Mm. But I think, to be honest, anyone facing that amount of, of pressure would be feeling it right now. So it's very normal and, and I hope that it does go gently on you and that you, you do have a good time because, yeah, part of it is really exciting. What can we do as Australia to get behind you? Um, God, I don't even know. I just 
keep sort of supporting me, watch it or um, I don't know. <laughs> Cheer you on, yeah. keep you in our prayers. Yeah, literally. What's your Instagram? Uh, Francesca.hung. How do you spell Hung? H-U-N-G. H-U-N-G. Like Hung. <laughs> yeah, Francesca Hung. I guess that's where people can keep across some yeah. of your journey. And I really, really appreciate you spending the time and to be able to talk about something that is probably different to what everyone sees on your Instagram and on many, many people's Instagram. And I've personally taken a lot out of it and I hope that it's felt safe for you to explore some of this stuff. And I hope Australia and the world, whoever has resonated with this, gets behind you just as much as we are. Amazing. Thank you. And I actually want to thank you because... Before speaking to you, I'd probably only spoken to one other person outside of my family about kind of how I was actually feeling. And I remember when we first had our first meeting, I couldn't even contain my emotions when I spoke to you about it. I was crying (laughs) about the pub and I was crying. Um, But I think knowing that I'm going to do this, Mm. I've kind of practiced and practiced and sort of spoken to other people about it. Mm. And each time it's gotten easier. Mm. And so this is the first time where I've actually been able to talk about what's happened to me and sort of not shed a tear mm. and be able to talk about it more I don't know just in a way that I'm comfortable with yeah more more integrated yeah so, and I know now mm. if somebody asks me a question like I'm actually ready to talk about it but before I definitely wasn't well I'm I'm very glad that this process has allowed you to become more familiar with your story to become more aware of it and not necessarily need to change it but just make it become more conscious because yeah as you've probably realized it's the biggest step and uh slow and steady and we always encourage um, everyone to be where they are and to if anyone's listening to this we're not expecting you to go out and tell everyone about the way that you feel if you're not in a stable managing position as you can see Francesca and I have been on a journey together. She's been on one independently where she has worked up to a level to feel comfortable. And even at this stage, there's probably things that you haven't talked about because they're yours and, you know, that that you're not ready to fully divulge. So it is a process. And the biggest advice I give to people is start with one person and, you know, the rest will come when and if it needs to. We don't need to be public if it doesn't help our own journey. But this journey has been an awesome one. I look forward to continuing it with you.